He's a former law enforcement officer, also a military contractor. He worked for years as a canine handler, both law enforcement and with military contracting. He developed his own post-traumatic stress. Now, he trains service dogs, PTSD, and other service dogs for Big Dog Ranch Rescue. He's here to talk all about it on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Another reason to like and follow us on Facebook, the mobile Facebook app. You can listen to the podcast there for free. So if you ever miss an episode of Law Enforcement Today Show, it's always on the mobile Facebook app. You know the one on your phone, which is free. It's easy to access the podcast and great articles, much more. By the way, feel free to send me a message. Say hello. If I can help you, let me know. That's on our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. Calling us from Palm Beach County area of Florida. We have Brett Simon on the phone. Brett is a former law enforcement officer from Ohio. He's also a former military contractor, and he is a service dog trainer for one of my favorite organizations, Big Dog Ranch Rescue in Palm Beach County, one of the great, great rescue organizations out there. And you know I'm a big dog person. We'll talk about that in a moment. Brett, you were training PTSD service dogs, correct? Absolutely, for uh, veterans returning from Iraq, Afghanistan, or any era of of, um, conflicts. Awesome. Thanks so much for doing that. Thanks for your service. All very much appreciated, both in, in law enforcement and in uh, the military contractor world, and especially as you are now for service dogs, all very much appreciated. I want to go back to your your days in law enforcement. You worked in the Ohio area, Cincinnati, Ohio area, correct? Correct. I was with the city of Milford Police Department, and um, then I moved to Miami Township, which both border themselves and is right in the Cincinnati, Ohio area. And how long did you do law enforcement? I was um, almost 15 years and um, nine of those years were uh, working a dual-purpose patrol and narcotics dog. By the way, I always thought, I'm a big dog person. My wife is really over the top. I always thought I wanted to have a canine dog. I always thought that was something I wanted to do. The closer I got to working with canine handlers, the less I wanted to do that job. <laughs> it, it definitely um, is a unique experience having a dog with you 24-7. Um, the ability to, you know, when you're in your cruiser working, to get the call for needing a dog or when you're called out from home. So um, your canine handlers are definitely putting in overtime all the time with the dogs, with the work and training. So, um, But it is one of the best partners you can have on the street, too, because they're always listening and they always have your back. My big concern, Brett, was I would have a dog that would be barking nonstop in my ear. I love dogs, but when they bark nonstop, something about me just goes, eh, can't handle it anymore. Yeah, at the beginning they used it as, um, as one of my old lieutenants said, as a deterrent to approaching the car and 
those kind of things. Um, these days, a lot of our dogs are extremely quiet in the back of the vehicle. Um, sometimes the siren may get them or, you know, the revving of the engine, they know something's getting ready to happen, um, or the handlers ask for it on command. So got a little bit quieter cruiser than, than back in the day now. And you didn't start off as a canine handler. You started off as a, a patrol police officer, correct? Correct. Yes. That's the way it is for most people. I, I listen to people all the time say, yeah, I want to be a homicide detective. I'm going to the academy. They're going right to being a detective. I'm like, yeah, that's not quite how it works. And in Baltimore, yeah, where I worked, it, it was a long list. And I, I hate to put it this way. You kind of had to be in really good favor to get the canine job or any other special job for that matter. Yeah, we had um, our department was a three-year wait list to get into any um, specialized assignment. Like you're talking about getting into robbery or homicide, something of that nature. So I waited my three years, but it, it kind of came full circle for me. So when I was growing up, the area I lived in, the canine handler um, is one of the reasons I got to really like dogs when I was young, um, was my chief of police when I actually got in the police department. So um, he was definitely in favor of having a canine and getting a specialized assignment and getting that unit out. So um, all those times I spent with him, petting his dog and trying to play with him and learning from him. You know, 20-some years later, he hires me, puts me on the street, and then gives me a dog three years later. So um, it, it was a great thing to have happen. What's the biggest misconception people have about police canine handlers and their dogs? Um, attacking. So um, police dogs, you know, everybody says that the dog attacked me, the dog attacked. Um, the dog is an apprehension uh, tool. It is not an attack dog. It's not used for that purpose. Um it's for officer safety. Um, it falls into the use of force continuum fairly low for some departments. So um, it's just, even though we love our dogs and we love our animals, um, law enforcement and the military dogs are tools for us to do our job and to do it a little bit more safely. So that attack word has always gotten me in my career is the dog is trained to apprehend um, a suspect that has committed a crime. Um, so it's, it's not an attack. The dog is doing its job and, um, we don't use it as an attack dog. We use it um, as a tool for law enforcement. So that's the, my biggest uh, pet peeve, I would say. Yeah, and I, I get it. I, I remember being a patrolman and having a foot pursuit. And one of the things we were taught early on is the dog doesn't know good guy, bad guy, uniforms, what. If you're, if you're running and the dog's let loose, stop. And we were in a big yep. <laughs> foot pursuit, and all of a sudden someone yelled, canine, and we all stopped except for the bad guy. The bad guy kept running, and the dog tackled him by his sneaker. Ran by, ran by all of you guys and went after him. So um, it, it does happen. I've had uh, maybe one or two um, bites on on a foot pursuit, like you're talking about, of officers that didn't stop. But we, we were at least able to get the dog off and, and finish out and find the bad guy. So it does happen. But again, like I said, it's, it's a tool for law enforcement to use. We love them. Um, you know, the handlers love their dogs so much the end of the day we're we're there to do a job and so are they and it's not to attack people it's just to protect the community i have a soft spot for dogs and i have rottweilers that have one rottweiler now we've had them for about 20 some odd years and a german shepherd and i love them both don't get me wrong but ultimately this rottweiler we stumbled across that breed quite by accident 25 mm -hmm. years ago best thing you ever had to me best breed for our, our personality and before we get into your career th there's a movie coming out i'm not going to name the, the movie and it involves a, a, a canine military dog a belgian malinois and 
a military veteran and it's a buddy film. And my big concern yes. is people are going to see this and they're going to say, man, I, I want to have a Belgian Malinois. And they're wonderful dogs. Well, my big concern is a lot of people are not good fits for that breed and they're going to have tons and tons of these dogs being neglected. And I really, uh, that really bothers me. It's a tough one. Um, you know, it started actually with the Malinois breed back in the movie Max and then on to um, another uh, movie with its handler and dog. So people um, over the years have experienced these highs with the, with these out movie productions of going out and getting a dog. It's like the 101 Dalmatians. Same type of thing happened. And, um, you know, the breed isn't for everybody. I found Belgian Malinois in the mid-90s when I was over visiting Europe. And I've been working them ever since. It's not a, a typical house dog for your normal home because they, they need a lot of, of work. They need a lot of space to run. They need a job to keep themselves occupied or else, you know, they're going to end up tearing out the household or anything. And the worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to be adopted or purchased from breeders and they're going to end up in shelters, which, you know, we know that probably over a million dogs a year get euthanized across the nation, if not more. Um, and it's just adding to the population of shelters that are trying to save dogs. So my suggestion is to make sure people are doing their homework about it. While it's a beautiful breed and a strong breed, um, you have to have the time, the temperament, and um, the ability to work with one um, constantly to make sure that the dog's needs are met and fulfilled. Perfect example of what you said is everything about that breed is great for certain people. I am not one of those people. I am not a high energy guy. I don't need exercise. I don't run anymore unless people are chasing me the gun. That's it. Those days are long gone. We're talking with Brett Simon on the Law Enforcement Today show. We're talking about his journey as a canine handler and police work, also as a military contractor. What led him to training PTSD service dogs for Big Dog Ranch Rescue? This is Law Enforcement Today show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at... L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Want to win great prizes in awesome contests? Who wouldn't want that? It's easy. Just sign up and subscribe for the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. Return our conversation with Brett Simon on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Brett is a former police officer from uh, Cincinnati, Ohio area. Also a military contractor served in Iraq. And currently, he is training PTSD service dogs for Big Dog Ranch Rescue. Their website, bdrr.org. If there's one dog rescue organization you need to know about, it's Big Dog Ranch Rescue. They're 
about 15 minutes from where my wife, we love what they do. Brett, I want to go back to your police career. You had aspirations of wanting to become a canine handler. Were you fully prepared for what was involved with that before making the jump and becoming a canine handler? Um, I had a, a good idea of, um, just from learning from other handlers and law enforcement guys that I'd become friends with. My father was in law enforcement, um, so he actually introduced me to several canine members of the Cincinnati Police Department and um, got to know them. And then through my career in the beginning, I was trying to do shadowing and ride-alongs um, on my off time with canine officers and going to their training and trying to learn about it prior to me getting involved in it. Um, I knew that I'd wanted a dog. Um, I wasn't sure if I was ready for the responsibility that I learned that it was at the time, um, being a young police officer. So uh, it took some time. Blessed to be able to get in with a lot of great canine trainers in the um, Ohio area that um, helped me in my career to make sure that I was doing the right things from the beginning and not learning from my mistakes. Did you have an overwhelming concern for the safety of the dog? One of the big things for all police is I have nightmares still, even all these years being retired, of accidentally hurting another officer or not being able to protect him. Did you have that kind of fear with your dog? When he was out of sight, um, you know, we, we've trained very hard with our canines. Um, we put them in situations that sometimes they need to be able to handle by themselves until you can get uh, your back up there. Um, if I was holding a leash or with him, um, my concern was a lot less than when I had to let him just go completely loose off the leash and he was out of my sight and we were trying to catch up. Um, but I had to trust in, in the fact that he knew his job and that he was going to do it until he was, um, you know, until I got to him or until support got to him to help him out. But um, we, we prepare these dogs fairly well, but it's always in the back of your mind when you can't see them, what's going on, what's going to happen with the suspect and the dog, you know, you can't help him the time till you get there. So th- there is a little bit of fear in there, but you also have to have that trust that your, your dog's going to do its job. Um, just like you are to help him, he's going to help you. The other question is, in many departments, the dog lives with their handler and family. Is that the case for you guys? Yes. Yep. He was not home dog at the time when I had him. I was single, so it was fairly easy. It was just me and him in the household. Um, so that worked out for quite some time. Yeah, I was to say, if there is a spouse involved or children, that's a 24-hour commitment with a, with a canine dog. It's not, hey, drop them off, go to work, and then go home. That is correct. Um, we have our care and maintenance time, you know, taking care of the dog, brushing, feeding, making sure that they're always in good working order. And then there's also the training time where um, it was usually an eight-hour training day for our, our canine uh, once a week. Uh, we'd meet at a certain place on a Wednesday, a certain time, and um, we would have that time devoted just to um, our training. However, you know, even from there, you could still get called out and have to go to work. So you always had your uniform with you and ready to go. We rode in one-man cars in our department. Did you find a, a measure of uh, assurance or safety having the canine with you all the time? Absolutely. Um, number one, he was he was there, you know, and made sure that I was watched his surroundings more than I watched my surroundings. Um, they're so in tune with what's going on. And the fact that when you um, pull up and you see the canine on the side of the car and things of that nature, a lot of people don't want to argue a whole bunch when they hear the dog in the back of the car or see the dog in the back of the car. Made some of those um, interesting calls a little bit less interesting. And then um, just to know that we had the remote bailout systems on our vehicle doors, um, which I had to use a couple times when I was engaging somebody. 
and um, was not being getting compliance, I could hit that button on the side of my belt, and the dog would come out um, from the rear of the vehicle and come to my rescue. Now, you and I have both seen in police work what a valuable tool they are, and not just for enforcement, investigations, smelling drugs, guns, explosives, the police canine tactical part where they take down fugitives that are running away, people hiding in commercial burglaries, all those things. We, we just say, hey, we're sending the dog in. 99% of the time, they would give up. When they knew the dog was there, they would get. We had guys, I say guys, men and women, that were so good at imitating police canines barking that people would just give up. <laughs> and there's no dog there, but they were, hey, we're sending the dog in. And he, as one guy in particular, John, would start barking. And, okay, I'm coming out. I give up. Put the dog away. <laughs> so it's a, a great tool. But it, what a lot of people don't realize is you've seen this. I've seen it. How valuable these dogs are for service dogs, in particular, PTSD yep. service dogs. Uh, we're not talking about the companion animals. We're not talking about that sort of thing. We're talking about dogs with jobs, and their job is to make sure that person is doing the best possible. And by the way, people with physical disabilities, they have service dogs as well. Perfect example are the guide dogs, uh, seeing, Correct. clearing, whatever it might be. Dogs that, that you need their help for leverage because you've got a, a walking problem. The PTSD dogs, I don't think a lot of people understand what they do. They consider, um, a lot of people consider them as an emotional support animal because they're not seeing a disability um, for most, for veterans with PTSD, law enforcement, first responders, um, because you don't see a limb missing or you don't see the cane and things of that nature. So it's really hard for people to grasp sometimes what the, what the purpose is uh, for a PTSD service dog. And why it's not considered just an emotional support animal, which is, you know, a therapy dog. Um, and the big difference with that is the trained tasks that we have um, for the PTSD dogs, for the individual veterans um, and their needs. So, you know, it's, it's really hard to see, but most are going to be marked with, um, just say, service dog on the side, have their vest on. And um, while it's working, we try not to distract them so they can perform the tasks. Uh, for the veterans. We're going to take a short break. We're talking to Brett Simon. We're going to talk more about training dogs for PTSD service dogs. We're going to talk about a little more of his law enforcement career, military contractor career, and why he is doing this at Big Dog Ranch Rescue. Their website is bdrr.org. Be sure to check them out. This is Law Enforcement Day Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Return our conversation with Brett Simon on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Brett is a former law enforcement officer. He served in the Cincinnati, Ohio area as a canine handler uh, at the end of his career. The last the majority of his career, and then went to war-torn Iraq as a military contractor, and now he is training PTSD service dogs for Big Dog Ranch Rescue, located in Palm Beach County, Florida. Their website is bdrr.org. And by the way, Big Dog Ranch Rescue, they also do little dogs as well. One of the things I want Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah, and the reason I'm bringing it up is I remember years ago, I, I met a Marine veteran 
and he had PTSD and some other physical things from, from combat. And he had a PTSD service dog. And this guy was a mountain of a man. He was huge, big muscular guy. And his service dog was a chihuahua. And believe it or not, the chihuahua's <laughs> name was Spike. But he said, this dog does things for me that no one else can do. And, and I get what he's saying now, but I think most people don't comprehend what a PTSD service dog does. Can you give a brief overview? Absolutely. So um, I'm familiar with PTSD. I was diagnosed in law enforcement um, after a critical incident and then coming or return from Iraq. Um, second doctor, I guess, had to validate <laughs> my diagnosis of PTSD. But so with the use of the dogs, um, we're using the dog's natural ability of the bond, the human animal bond. And so that the dog is actually reading um, the handlers and we're teaching them the train commands as well. But just like a, a person running from the law enforcement, you see the dog tracking. They're dropping pheromones off. They're dropping skin grafts off and those kind of things. And the dog is, that's what the dog is actually chasing and smelling and looking for. We're doing the same thing with um, anxiety, hypervigilance, um, fear. So when those type of things are coming off and the dog is reacting to a handler, we call it disrupting a behavior. Maybe they have their hands in their, in their lap or their hands on their head. We can teach the dog to break that behavior, which will get the um, person with PTSD out of that thought pattern um, of what's going on in his head. We're distracting him from whatever is bringing them back to a flashback or back to um, a situation they may have been in while they were deployed. So um, that's one of the big things. And then the train tasks for them are pressure therapy. So if a veteran is having an anxiety attack and... Um, the dog is trained to go up into his lap, um, all the way up onto his shoulders, and we're just going to lay pressure against the handler um, so that he feels that comfort and he feels that support. And that way he can, the dog can be right there. He can be petting him. It's going to relax and calm things down. And then we have a couple preventative commands um, is what I like to call it, where if you're working your dog, you'll be facing a counter or register or an ATM, and your dog is actually facing the other direction and a sit, and it will notify you of somebody walking up behind for a startle response. Now, these dogs cannot do it by growling, barking, or being aggressive in any type of form. Um, we use a tail wag or the dog to stand up so the handler knows somebody's coming, so that's stopping that startle response. And then another command, which is space control, where the dogs are about three feet in front of us, sitting uh, horizontally to us, and we're basically keeping a distance, keeping our personal space bubble with the dog. Again, no aggression, nothing like that. That is allowing the veteran or the person with PTSD to feel comfortable in an environment. And once they are, they can move the dog um, to like the heel position. But what we want is for the veteran, number one, to get out because the biggest thing with PTSD is isolation. They're isolated in their homes. They'd only go out, you know, late at night. Um, or they shop at a gas station instead of a grocery store because it's quick and easy. So we want them um, with these commands to be able to go out and use them to be to ease themselves back out into civilian life um, with the use of a service animal. Um, science says even dogs, everybody has at home, your Rottweiler, your Shepherd, if you're loving on them, you're petting them, your anxiety is coming down, your blood pressure is coming down, you're calming down. So the dogs have a calming effect for everybody. It's just those trained tasks that allow somebody with severe PTSD or agoraphobia, whatever it is, to get back out into society. Um, and be able to do it with confidence and not have to go to store at 2 o'clock in the morning. So the use of dogs for PTSD and mental health is it's just been outstanding. And um, the results are showing with the number of graduates of 
programs across the country, uh, veterans getting back out and getting back to an active lifestyle with their families and um, attending events and just doing everything that they can to reach their potential. Some of the things you said, I, I, I think you're taking a lot of what, and I'm no expert, by the way, a lot of dog training is taking natural instincts that dog has, like prey drive, whatever it might be, and, and honing it and redirecting it. For example, he said, the dog paying attention pressure. My Rottweiler, Doc, when I start getting upset, he knows somehow or another instinctually, without training, that he makes eye contact with me. He'll nudge my hand with his head, and quite often he'll sit on my foot. And by the way, he's about 125 pounds. So when he sits on your foot, <laughs> you can't help but notice it. And he does this thing where... Rottweilers are great because they keep people away, and he rarely ever growls. All he has to do is look at people and are like, I'm not going near that guy. Correct. <laughs> and it's true. I mean, the dogs, every dog from, you're talking about the, the big guy with the um, chihuahua to a person with the Rottweiler, all of them are reading our body language. They're smelling our what's going on with us, and they're reacting um, to you to try to help, to say, I'm here what's going on, you know, lean on me kind of, kind of thing if you want to go there, but they are sensing everything we do, um, every day and while we're interacting with them. And, um, like I said, we are just honing those skills that already a dog has and using it to teach them a job, um, to be able to help people. So like I said, it can be from the littlest dog up to the biggest dog. They're there to help us all the time. Did your own PTSD journey inspire you to do what you're doing today? In part, it did, yes. Um, so my mom was the big driving force uh, behind me getting back into dogs. So when I went to, um, I left the police department, I went to work for my um, dad um, as a private investigator. He's had a, he was retired law enforcement, as I said before, and he had a PI business that we were hoping to run together. And I felt that I could always do more um, with dogs. And at the time, there was a, a person that I trained with a lot and um, helped me out through my career that said they needed handlers to go to Iraq to take the first cross-trained tracking and explosives dogs um, with them for uh, the United States Army. My specialty back then was um, in tracking. I loved tracking and training it and things of that nature, so I was one of the candidates they sought out. And coming back from there, um, I didn't notice it. I was living again by myself and um, didn't see the signs. I knew some of the signs. But my mom definitely was seeing it, and she knew that I always loved being around the dogs and working with dogs. So she started researching dogs for PTSD. And um, about six, seven months later, we founded um, the organization I worked for last, which was Canines for Warriors. And with three people, and within 12 years, it's the nation's largest service dog provider to veterans with almost 800 graduates of the program. So it was her pushing me to be to get back to myself. I mean, like I said, we all kind of get in a rut or we, you know, just live life and accept the things that are going on. At that time, I hadn't given up, but I was pretty down. And I guess I didn't realize it myself until I got back with the dogs. And there was definitely a huge change um, in my personality, my demeanor, everything, because now I was back to training dogs. And then now not only just training dogs, training them for a veteran. Um, and through my career of it, I've had two two gentlemen that I was in Iraq with when they were in 18, 19 years old, um, you know, as young Army guys have come through and got dogs after they've been re medically retired and uh, received dogs from, from our training. So to see it come full circle like that and to have these guys and girls 
that are still alive because of the use of a dog um, definitely lends me to why we're doing this and it keeps me in a good place um, with PTSD and knowing that what I'm doing is forwarding the mission for a lot of people. We're going to take a short break. We're talking with Brett Simon from Big Dog Ranch Rescue in Palm Beach County, Florida. That's BDRR.org. He's a former law enforcement officer, former military contractor, and he trains PTSD service dogs. We return. We're going to talk about the training process, how dogs are selected, and a little bit more of his personal story. This is Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. John discovered a cool new app, and he just can't put it down because it has millions of great podcasts, including Law Enforcement Today. So now you can listen anytime, anywhere, and also chat with John. It's called Podopolo. It's free on either app store, so join John there. Follow Law Enforcement Today and DM John when you do. That's Podopolo. Download it now. Return our conversation with Brett Simon on Law Enforcement Today's show. Fascinating conversation from a pretty fascinating guy. He is a PTSD service dog trainer for Big Dog Ranch Rescue. That is the name of the organization. Our website is BDRR.org. They're located in Palm Beach County, Florida, West Palm Beach to be precise. And don't let the name fool you. Big dogs, little dogs, in-between dogs, they do them all. Brett is a former law enforcement officer and also a military contractor. And now, as I said, he trains service dogs. One of the things that a lot of people have, I think, misconceptions about, we talked earlier about the Marine with the the Chihuahua service dog named Spike. My personal dog, which is Doc the Rottweiler, and how good he is and how good Spike was. Any kind of dog that's not breed specific can do this type of work, correct? That is correct. Um, as long as they have the ability um, to want to to want to have a job and work um, and have the drive to do it, we we can train the task for that particular veteran. Um, now, depending on the veteran's disabilities, is um, the use of a dog. So, obviously, the Marine we're talking about with Spike, he didn't need any mobility assistance. So. Because um, he wouldn't be pushing on the chihuahua to help get him up off the ground or out of a chair. Right. So here um, at our program, what we use is um, the dogs need to be three years of age or younger, um, 55 pounds or more, and right around 24 inches um, at the shoulder. And that is for the, some of the mobility commands um, that we teach. And the age is for the um, longevity of the partnership of a handler and a dog. We don't want to... Just have a short, you know, span there that they, they get assistance. We want to make it as long as possible, but to get enough training in. So between two and three years old, depending on when we get them to, to train them, which uh, can take anywhere from three to six to nine months to get them uh, ready here at the campus and then bring a veteran in to pair them up. So um, there is process to it, and it takes a little bit of time, but um, we're pretty efficient at getting it done. So you mixed breeds, pure breeds, all kinds. We use all kinds. Um, there are some, like we're talking about, and you said it earlier, uh, your Rottweiler. People see it and they go, maybe might go around the other aisle at a grocery store or give a wide berth around you because just the size and the look of the dog. So we do kind of stay away from Cane Corsos, American Bulldogs, um, Rottweilers, Dobermans, those kind of things because we want the veterans to interact with people. We don't want them to go around um, the people. We don't want them to avoid. We want to interact them, have them interacting with the general public in conversation 
or even just a wave. It doesn't have to be any more than that. But when people are afraid to be around them or approach because of the breed of dog, we have to look at that. And I saw that um, a couple times in the program where people would actually go two or three aisles over or one lady grabbed her kid and went really far away from the handle, even though it was the sweetest dog in the world. It was a 100-pound American bulldog. Right. Well, um, I, I get the so, same thing when people look at me. I'll, I'll be honest with you, Brett. I tell people all the time, I can be the 85-year-old guy in a nursing home with the walker, with the tennis balls on the front, and they go, shh, there's 5-0, and they run the other way. They say I look mean, I look intimidating, and my wife goes, he's just him. <laughs> so people see me, and they, they, they go the other way. Yes. Right and or that's wrong, that's just the way it is. Yeah, we want that interaction because, again, the isolation and not engaging in conversation is some of the worst behaviors of PTSD that we want to try to break, and we can facilitate that through a dog. And it can be a mixed breed of all those dogs I talked about. We just need that little softer look to them, um, you know, and friendly appearance, demeanor, so that our veterans can get out and be involved in different things and not have the public perception of having to stay away from them because of certain breeds, which... Um, I don't believe in being breed specific at all. I just I never got that feel from you. And here's the reality. And by the way, I do AKC dog shows with with my Rottweilers. We've done German Schutzen shows. The only thing we don't do is bite work. We don't do that for specific reasons. But our breeder that that has taught us so much. He goes, the Rottweiler has to live in today's world. So you you can't have a dog like you had in the seventies because it's just it, it it will not live. Insurance regulations have a lot to do with things. So I, I get why yeah. you do that. I never got that feel from you, and I, I don't ever get that feel from Big Dog Ranch Rescue either. Now I want to go to your dogs that you get. These these are rescue dogs, or are you bringing in dogs for a specific training? No, here at the Big Dog Ranch is just all rescue dogs. Um, coming from the main shelter, which is our adoption and, and kenneling area, we are in a separate building off the campus so we can have a little bit more quiet time for us to focus on the task training of the dogs. But they're, they're all brought over from um, our main rescue mission um, here at the ranch and brought to our kennels and begin their training um, as soon as they get here. So uh, we have the ability to hold 16 dogs for our veteran uh, training program. And the ranch itself has the ability to hold over 600 and some odd dogs at any point in time. Is this for veterans only right now? For right now, it is for all um, era veterans only. And um, hopefully one day we open up to the law enforcement, fire, EMS, because um, they're suffering PTSD just as much as anybody else. Well, you've got an advocate who lives like 10 minutes from you. So just, so anytime you need a little backup in that department, you let me know. <laughs> but we're working on that. So if someone has a veteran in, in their family that they know has issues, that, that wants to inquire about Big Dog Ranch Rescue and what you do, what's the process? So they can go to our BigDogRanchRescue.org um, and check for the veterans program. And there is a link in there to click, and it will um, get an email over to our team. who will get in touch with them and send out an application. So there, there is a little bit of um, work for the veteran to do. They have an application to fill out that gives us a little bit about themselves, their background, their lifestyles. So we want to match up the attributes of the dog to the handler. Um, and they also have to get some of their military records. We need a copy of a DD-214 and also a diagnosis that shows one of the disabilities that we train our dogs for, which again was PTSD, traumatic brain injury, limited mobility, and military sexual trauma. 
Thank you for doing that. And, Once and they please, fill that out, then we uh, interview them and start matching them, trying to match them with the dog. Please let everybody there know I appreciate what they're doing very, very much. This type of work is not cheap. Everybody I talk to, and I know Big Dog Ranch Rescue is big in fundraising, but everybody I talk to that's in the nonprofit world says that, that fundraising is the other F word. This has got to be a monumental task for your organization. How can people listening help? Well, it definitely is. I mean, the average cost of a service animal, and we're talking seeing seeing dogs, seeing eye dogs, hearing dogs, um, and all the way down to, not all the way down to, but including PTSD dogs, is anywhere from twenty-five dollars to $40,000 per dog before it even gets placed with a handler. Um, so, you know, that that's a big number. But they are getting, we are getting the donations uh, to help out, but we all, we're always needing more for the ranch and for the program. Um, people can get involved by going to the website and seeing some of the different opportunities uh, that are there for fundraising um, or donations because we are always looking um, to bring more dogs in and we're building more kennels here in the next year. So um, there's going to be opportunities that way for naming um, certain rooms in the new kennel. People get to name wings or particular kennels. Um, after a family member, after a military member, um, or a company. So there, there's multiple um, avenues for companies or individuals to get involved with the program um, through, like I said, a fundraising event or donating themselves. And they can just go to our website and um, check out the opportunities that are there. It's greatly appreciated, and it definitely helps for our veterans world so that we can keep um, bringing veterans in and putting dogs out in their hands so that they can get on with their lives. And you said earlier the cost to bring a dog and train them is about how much total? Um, anywhere from twenty five thousand to forty thousand dollars. That's a big chunk of change. Uh, I, I'm not one of these wealthy people that can write a check. I know people can, but people yes. can do five, ten dollars, and it goes a long way, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. So um, that's what I was saying. The other opportunities for fundraising are there, um, but every dollar that comes in um, goes right into the program. And like you said, it's saving big and small, small animals, and it's also um, helping the veterans. So anything that anybody can give towards the, towards the ranch mission and to forward that mission um, just becomes a force multiplier. If we get a bunch doing it, then we can do a bunch more. Brett, I appreciate your service, all you do, and I really appreciate all that Big Dog Ranch Rescue does. Remember, their website is bdrr.org, Big Dog Ranch Rescue. You can do a Google search, the Big Dogs, Little Dogs, Rescues, Training PTSD, and other service dogs. They do it all. Brett, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate your time. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.